Welcome to the Off the Beaten Career Path podcast. I'm your host, Katie Myers. Here you will find the inspiration, strategies, and tactics needed to reach the next level and beyond in your small business and career. Thanks for joining us and get ready to put these ideas to work for you. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. This is your host, Katie Myers, and I am joined by a very special guest today. She's my friend, Brandy Martinez. Brandy is the owner of Psychic Readings by Brandy LLC and the host of the storytelling podcast, Psychic Stories to Tell in the Dark. She grew up in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and had dreams of becoming a forensic scientist like Kay Scarpetta as a child. She attended UW-Madison, entering as pre-med and took a U-turn majoring in sociology with an emphasis on women's studies and LGBT studies. She left school and entered the financial sector. Her background volunteering and working in social justice community on intersectional rights has always paralleled her career in finance. In the early 2010s, Brandy began mentoring in the Berkeley lineage of psychic mediumship in the inaugural class cohort at the Madison Psychic Institute. She studied for several years before opening her own business, providing spiritual consult. In 2022, Brandy took the leap of leaving her career in the financial sector and jumped into reading and teaching full-time. She now works with local organizations in her spare time, focusing on a more holistic perspective of transparency in history, policy, and education. Welcome, Brandy. Thank you, Katie. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. (laughs) Yes, I am so super excited to talk about your career path because it's so interesting to me. You very much took a (laughs) U-turn there to go from being in the financial world to being a psychic medium. Yes. So tell me about how you got started. So why you wanted to do pre-med. I never knew that about you. I know. So tell me about that and why you changed that. So I went in pre-med at UW-Madison because I wanted to eventually become a forensic scientist. And I read those books, the Case Scarpetta novels by Patricia Cornwell when I was younger, and I was just so fascinated by them. The concept of working with the dead didn't really scare me. It was more fascinating. I love science. Um, And this was before, you know, all those Discovery Channel shows were out and things like that. (laughs) I was really drawn to kind of help solving things. Um, And now I know it's probably because of all the Scorpio emphasis in my astrology chart. It's just kind of a natural thing for us. So yeah, so I was kind of drawn to that. I also had uh, a moment in my teens where my mom had been misdiagnosed with meningitis. Actually, she was misdiagnosed, but she had meningitis, which turned into encephalitis. And so at that time, doctors didn't really understand how to diagnose meningitis or encephalitis. They didn't really know what it was. And so it had kind of driven me to want to get involved and do something different. I grew up in a really poor house. We didn't have food security. Nobody had ever gone to college, barely graduated high school kind of thing. And so I worked my butt off (laughs) to, to try and, you know, do my best. I had never even planned on going to college, quite honestly. It was more kind of like a pipe dream kind of having this. And so once I realized that, you know, my grades were above average, I didn't even really realize that. I had a, a really great mentor in in high school who kind of 
said, what are you doing? Why aren't you applying for college? Why aren't you, what are you doing? We need to get you to do tours. We need to get you to think about this. And she actually ended up helping me apply for scholarships. And I won a, a full scholarship to, to whatever university I wanted. It was a private scholarship. So I, I chose Madison because I visited one day and it was just the perfect day. Like the sun was shining and it just felt like home. It was a good fit for me. So Going into school at Madison was really overwhelming because it was the first of all the firsts for me, and I was totally away from everything I knew. I'm sure a lot of folks that have college students leaving the house can relate, but one of the unique features of UW-Madison, and it wasn't really talked about when I went to school there, I lived in the Lakeshore dorms right on Lake Mendota, and one of the pieces we don't really know about UW-Madison is that it's built on top of a lot of Native American burial mounds, a lot of indigenous effigy mounds, and they're shaped in like huge birds or conical domes, or there's just so many different shapes. And they were among us the whole time. And I started having a lot of experiences in my dorm room, which it's like I was so in, enveloped in school, that was just a secondary issue, and I didn't even pay attention to it. And I realized I did not love all my science classes, and I started kind of feeling lost and feeling like, okay, I, I don't know what I'm going to do here. Everyone else seems to know what they're doing. Everyone else seems to have it together. And I just felt like I wasn't going to amount to anything. And so partway through, I ended up taking women's studies class and it was actually women's health. And it was one of the most interesting classes I've ever taken because it it really kind of reframed how we see the healthcare system and how we see like our own bodies, because a lot of science was written for, you know, based upon the male perspective in the past. And so it was a really eye opening class. And then from there, I ended up wanting to, well, what else do I do I not know? What else is there, you know, that I have to relearn? And I started kind of going down the social sciences route, and learned so much there. And that's and that ended up being what felt like home to me. So I did do a huge U-turn. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I absolutely love that. And I didn't know that the UW-Madison campus was built on effigy mounds. When you were in college and you say there was the presence of these of these spirits there, was that your first experience with, with your psychic abilities or had you known before that? I had known before that. When I was a kid, I had some experiences. I would have this spirit of a man that would stand in my room. He was really tall and he <laughs> he had like this shaggy 60s, 70s haircut and he was wearing like a formal suit. It was very like boxy looking and he would stand there and just look at me. He wouldn't say anything. And I thought of him as the Scooby-Doo man because, you know, all the all the people they're capturing in Scooby-Doo, they all have like the same shag haircut. And so in my mind, he was the Scooby-Doo man because, you know, I'm just this little kid. And I grew up in the in the 80s, like I was born in 84. So seeing that clothing was 
how I acknowledged it. And then I had a, quite a few things happen to me in my tween years too, around the passing of my great aunt, who I consider my my maternal figure. She passed away from cancer when I was about 12 or 13. And I had some experiences then as well. And, you know, during my teen years, I think I was just really trying to make it. So I I suppressed a lot of it. I didn't really didn't really acknowledge anything during those years. I can't really remember a lot. So, but I can imagine. Yeah. But right around the twenties, that's when that door just kind of kicked itself in. And I just didn't really have any choice, but to try to figure out how to navigate it, you know? Absolutely. So, so you make the U-turn in school from forensic science going into women's studies and LGBT studies. So how did that translate into your, you spent many years in the financial sector. So how did that happen? Yeah. So when I graduated from UW-Madison, I had been working as an event coordinator for the Campus Center for the LGBT Studies Campus Center. And I had been I had been involved in so many student orgs and so many, just like this huge network. And what happened was I actually had this moment at the like at my last year where I froze and I didn't know what to do. Everyone else had their plans. Everyone else knew what they were doing. They all had different like, you know, roadmaps that they were creating. And here I am the first person, you know, in my family to go to school. I don't, and, and my family did not love that I went to college, mind you. They were not really okay with it. They expected me to, you know, get a job right after high school basically. And, and I, Quite honestly, I think there now that I reflect on it, I think there was a little bit of jealousy there. But yeah, I think what happened was I had cracked open this door that really helped me understand myself better. You know, and what what I ended up doing was I actually had this moment where I froze and I was super depressed. Everyone else was moving on. I didn't know what to do with myself. And I remember I had all these job opportunities and I froze and I turned them all down because I didn't know. I didn't even go to the interviews because I didn't know what what to do. And I was scared. And it was a self-sabotaging moment. And what I ended up doing to pay the bills is I actually got a job at the Home Depot cashiering. So it was like I really denied myself expand my horizon because of my feelings of self-worth or my issues with self-worth. And I think a lot of people can kind of relate to that because they're like, oh, this is not realistic. This is not, you know, doing these new things. It's not, it's not realistic. It's not true to who you are, where you come from kind of a thing. And I was battling with all of these pieces in me. And so I ended up deciding that you know, I'm not going to be able to live off of that income, right? Living off of this income from a retail, you know, store. And, and I ended up deciding like, okay, I got to figure something out here. And I, I always have been anxious about money. There wasn't always communication in our house around finances or around responsible spending or around savings. Like that wasn't even a word in our house. And so for me, I had a lot of anxiety around finances because I didn't understand how to manage them. So what do I do? I go and I get a job in banking so I can understand it and I can be thrown in there. 
I'm one of those people who is like, I need to master it. I need to learn it so that I can feel even comfortable teaching others. And so that's what kind of drew me to banking was my anxiety. And so I started out just as like a customer service rep in a 24-hour call center. And I kind of worked my way up into online banking and working with, you know, business banking, treasury management groups, things like that. I loved learning how to navigate software so I could teach people how to use the software to make their jobs a lot easier. I loved working in finance. I ended up, you know, shifting to different tech oriented positions in finance. And then I, my last job was in a mortgage company and I was kind of like an operations manager where I was gathering data and monitoring workflow and things like that. And I loved that job. I, I loved it. But there was something going on here within me where I was having these experiences. I should probably back up though, because in I would say right when I started in the financial sector, I started having experiences again. Um, paranormal experiences, psychic experiences, spiritual experiences with the passing of my father. He completed suicide in 2010. And I had at the same time, right before that, I had been experiencing some pretty serious haunting issues in our apartment in McFarland. It was a brand new building. And I mean, we've all seen Poltergeist, right? (laughs) It was a brand new building. And I was just thinking, oh, yeah, this will be great because I had moved from one space where I was experiencing things as well. And this is gonna be great. It's a brand new building. You know, I'm I'm excited. Well, no, (laughs) this so this particular apartment had been built within a block of an area where they were desecrating and demolishing burial mounds. And they still are today. And it's a a construction company that has been known for wanting to lobby to remove federal protections for these mountains. And that's horrific. And lots of cemeteries. Yeah, I know. So that they can have rights to dig, you know, for whatever it is they're mining. And I was only a, a block or two away from it. And I was having all of these crazy experiences in my apartment. And I had no knowledge of this, by the way, this was in 2000. I had no knowledge that this was happening until I went back to revisit and try to understand what was going on with the land in 2020. And that's when I learned about all the stuff that had been happening. It didn't actually come out until 2016 that this was occurring. And so here I was, I was having these experiences. This woman was coming to me and she was screaming about the bones, the bones. She was an indigenous woman and I had no idea what she was talking about, but she scared the heck out of me. (laughs) And it's because, you know, I didn't know what to do with that. I didn't know how to understand the spiritual world. I felt bad for her. I didn't feel scared, you know, of her. I felt bad for her more so. And, and, I felt her pain, you know, like empathically, you know, when we're, when we're, when we're having empathy for someone, you can hold space for the experience they're having without necessarily taking it on. But I felt like, I don't even know what to do with this information. And I'm glad that I decided to reach out to someone to try and help me understand what was going on so I could work with my abilities and my skills because I, I honestly thought I was schizophrenic. You know, and so I went to I went to a therapist and I said, you know, 
I need help. I'm seeing these things. It was the scariest thing to do because, you know, women in mental health, we don't exactly have the best track record, right? <laughs> Throughout history. So, so, um, you know, she said, well, I had her sit with me and, you know, at screen me or whatever. And she goes, yeah, you're not showing any symptoms of something like this. She's like, this really does seem like there's something else going on and we kind of need to find a mentor for you, I think. And, you know, at the time, social media existed, but it wasn't anything like what it is now. Nothing. I mean, we didn't have Instagram or anything like that during this time. Well, and thank goodness you found a therapist that was open and didn't like try and make you be a schizophrenic. I mean, and because I think you probably could have met with a therapist that would have seen that completely differently. Yeah. So what a gift that, that that's who you came in contact with. Yeah. I'm really grateful that for that woman. She changed my life. She put me on a completely different path in a very helpful and constructive way. And, you know, me coming from academia, like when I was in all of that, you know, your brain is very focused on making sense of things. And I am a healthy skeptic, you know, that that's how I've gotten through a lot of the things that I've solved, you know, in my own personal life throughout the years. But I would say that I'm really grateful for how she handled that situation, because I went out and I found a mentor who actually was a therapist also, by the way, she's a psychotherapist. And she understood like the trauma that people encountered when they were trying to process all of their spiritual experiences as well. So it was really great to study with her. Her name is Patty B. She doesn't do psychic classes anymore. She doesn't do mentorships anymore. She solely focuses on helping people with more like PTSD recovery and things like that. I had studied with her and towards the end of our cohort, I I didn't think anything of it. I just wanted to have the meditation skills to set my boundaries, to turn it off so I could focus and live a normal life. And she goes, oh, well, you know, I think you should try reading for someone. I really do. And I was like, you know, that kind of makes me uncomfortable. I don't really feel like I need to do that. Well, just, just give it a shot. Just give it a shot. So she would screen the people that she'd have come in to make sure that it was like a safe space for us as students. And we'd sit with them and we'd give them a reading. And I don't know, something just kind of happened. It like alchemized inside of me when I had this moment of connection with these people and kind of like transformation happening. I could see the reflection in their eyes. You know, when you see those wheels turning in someone's eyes when they're learning and, and in some cases I would receive validation for some of the things that, you know, I was saying, even though they sounded ridiculous to me. And so to me, it felt like more of, I started acknowledging, okay, this is a confidence thing. I was more worried about, you know, I didn't want to make mistakes. I didn't want to hurt someone. I didn't want to get things wrong. You know what I mean? Any, anyone who's responsible wouldn't want to do that, right? And so I realized with more practice and more interaction with people, it just the, the type of connection that you have with these people and seeing kind of how things transform in a session, it did something for me that I don't think I really could achieve in my financial career. You know, it was very numbers, spreadsheets, which I love. I absolutely love. But now I actually can apply that to my my business. 
you know, I have that kind of background for the operation from the operations perspective. And I can apply that to how I function with my small, my small business. So you had this self-discovery of like learning how to, you know, use your, your gifts and abilities, but did you, and I've watched a lot of shows on psychics. I love Sylvia Brown, all of that stuff. I I've seen that sometimes it comes in like families. Did other members of your family experience this or, or no? That's a really great question. And it took me until after my grandmother's death. So my grandmother passed away, oh gosh, I want to say eight years ago, maybe nine years ago. And I think that after she passed, I had a lot of ref- like time to reflect because she's just a really great force in my life. She was really this sweet little, you know, Scandinavian woman. <laughs> she's just so cute. Oh yeah. And and I I had this this time to reflect on how some of the stories she would tell me, her and her husband, my grandfather would tell me when I was very young, it almost seemed like they were coded with help about how to manage these abilities now that I'm looking back. And they were very, they were taken under the wing of the Salvation Army when they're, when they were kids. Okay. Cause they were children of immigrants and, you know, they would provide these like spiritual camps to get the poor kids out of the city for the, you know, the week and stuff like that. And so the way that they used the language of how they explained things was everything was either an angel or a demon. You know, they didn't really have like any other vocabulary for it, but a lot of the things that they would tell me or teach me or or share with me they were ghost stories but they saw this child that they would see in their house as an angel you know for example or you know different things like that but to them they didn't want to use those other kinds of words and so now that i have that reflective moment in i had that reflective moment in my life after her passing i realized that they were also psychic. My grandmother's house was super haunted. I I did not love, I lived there for quite quite a while because during my summers in college, I would come home to Minneapolis and I'd stay with her. And she was just the best roommate. She was so fun. But there were so many things that happened in that house. And um, my mother also had experiences there when she was a child. And so I do feel like there's something with lineage when it comes to these abilities. But I have to say, I I have to say, I think that the abilities themselves are something that anyone can tap into. I really do believe that, that everyone has access to doing what I do. I don't think I'm some special like guru or something like that. People will call them a gift. I can understand that. They could be a gift or a curse. But what I would say is, yes, there, there appears to be a correlation, especially with some of the clients that I work with. They'll bring their children to me even because they're, they're also experiencing things and they're not sure how to parent in that particular situation. And so I've had to sit down and kind of help with mentoring and, you know, feeling safe, feeling comfortable, because now that I realized my grandma was kind of talking to me in code about how to protect myself spiritually in moments like that. And so, yeah, yeah. Long answer. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) I do think that. (laughs) 
That is so interesting to me. So how did you, so what I know from, from just being friends with you is I know that you were doing your small business on the side with, Mm -hmm. with your, your abilities. And then you eventually left your career in the financial world. So how long were you doing both of those at the same time? And I, I work in financial services as well. And not a lot of people in the industry are are super open to the alternative things such as as psychic abilities. So how did that work? Just juxtaposition of having such different careers at the same time. So I have to say that when I started, it was completely like the teammates that I worked with at the job that I was at when I started, they were very aware. Actually, one of the first, when I worked at that little call center, one of the coworkers I had was also an empath and they actually were really into paranormal investigation. And they're, they actually recruited me to be part of a small team. And they said, you know, oh, well, would you like to come and try out an investigation to see what you think of it? And I was like, Yeah, because I'm not really sure that ghosts exist, even though I'd had all these experiences, like the skeptical side of me saying, no, no, I need the proof. I need the proof. I need more proof. You know, what if I was just hallucinating or something? So, you know, one of my biggest moments, I went to three, three investigations. And the third one was a beautiful Spanish revival mansion in Milwaukee. And it had been part of the bootlegging trail in right off of uh, Lake Michigan. And gosh, I saw so many things that night. I didn't need anything else to like, that just sealed the deal. <laughs> like so <laughs> many things. And I was like, you know, this is like, this is when I was first learning about my abilities and how to like, navigate them and manage them. So I had a lot of anxiety and a lot of uncertainty over, okay, what can this hurt me? Can I, you know, what are these things and what, and I still don't know everything, you know, but I remember joining that group and I was like, no, this is too hard on my nerves. I don't want to do this anymore. So I did three investigations. And after that, I was like, I I can't, I realized at that point, that, you know, this is real. (laughs) And I had to start taking it more seriously. And that's what launched me in as well as the passing of my father to working on my abilities. So I could try and navigate good boundaries and safety and things like that. And so you wouldn't think, but in that particular space, I was like in the right space at the right time. You know, we were, we were call center weirdos. We were working late night shifts and you know how that goes. People who work the late night shifts are so fun. They are so fun. They are. They're the best people <laughs> because you're all delirious because you're tired. <laughs> and exactly. And, you know, you you just march to the beat of your own drum. And so when I left that position, the company actually ended up going under. This was during that 2008 recession. And I had just gotten into the financial sector. And then all of a sudden I was there for five years at this company. And I knew that they were going under, but they weren't telling us. They they were keeping it a secret, everything they were doing to try and make it look like we were stable. So I ended up getting another job. And I'm glad that I had left because it was a big mess when they had gone through a merger afterwards and then, you know, ended up eliminating the entire workforce that I had been a part of. So I'm glad that I got out when I did. 
And that's another way that my intuition was able to really help me. And then I would say when I went into other positions along the way, because I had a couple of jobs, you know, that I, I took just because I needed, you know, I needed something. And in those positions, I did meet a person who I ended up becoming pretty close with. We actually had the same exact birthday, which was really weird. And she's someone I could feel comfortable disclosing to. You know how you have your your bestie coworker and you can feel comfortable talking with them about anything? So I, I you know, maintained that friendship for quite a while. And I feel though, like it wasn't something I broadcasted. It wasn't something I shared with people openly at work. And when I had my last position, with the mortgage financial that I worked at for, I want to say seven or eight years, I had actually started off in that role and I had taken a break from doing psychic work because I was moving and then I ended up going through a divorce. And it's just, there were so many other things on the table that I just had to put it aside. And so I took a couple of years off from doing that work and Honestly, the mortgage industry blew up. I mean, it was so busy that I didn't have time to focus. And then I want to say 2018 came and my now husband was like, you know, this is like a real thing that you have. You need to start using it. Like it's it's something that you can't ignore. You need to start working with it more. And I said, well, just because I can do it doesn't mean I have to, you know, just because I can doesn't mean I have to. And he goes, well, yeah, you don't have to do everything with it, but, you know, why don't you just try doing some things with it? And I said, okay, okay, you know, you make a good point. He's like, you're unhappy anyways in this financial sector. You're working yourself to death. You know, I was a workaholic. So I decided that, you know, he was right. He he had some, he always had my best interests, like the, like my happiness in mind. And I really thank him for that. And so I decided to, I wanted to learn some more tools. So I started learning tarot, started learning astrology, started reading again, started offering readings again. I met a wonderful community online through a tarot teacher that I had. And we were all just like thick as thieves during the pandemic. I think that's what got me through the pandemic, actually. I had this really wonderful social group of people. And after that, I realized so many things were happening. So many doors were opening that I was ready to take a leap. And I could see that I was not happy in the financial sector anymore. I was working in the financial sector from a place of scarcity fear. Okay. Because look at my background, look at where I come from. I thought, okay, if I can master money, then I'll be safe. But the thing was, I could never never totally feel safe. And no matter how hard I worked. And my husband said, you know, I'd rather you be happy than feel like, you know, you need to constantly like hustle, hustle, hustle. And, and I know, Katie, you're a hustler. I know, because you're always out there, you're doing things, you're meeting people, you know, and and I had this like really low battery, this like low social battery. And so and that's one of the reasons why I really admire you, by the way. (laughs) 
Oh, well, thank you. You say you have a low social battery, but you met me like out on the street corner in public. And, and when I here know. we are a couple of years I later. I know. And it's like moments like that where I started having to say yes to the things that I wasn't saying yes to. If you would have tried to get me into like any kind of a networking event 10 years ago, like heck no. Heck no. I don't know if I can swear on this podcast, but... Absolutely. <laughs> okay. Hell no. <laughs> that wasn't even a bad um, swear, Brandy. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. So, you know, I had... I realized because I was operating from this place of fear. Oh, I have to have this polished polished image. And, you know, all these, like, things about me need to be a certain way. And that's just what I think the financial sector does to you. And it just wasn't real. It wasn't, like, who I was. You know, there's so many other so many other pieces that I want to talk about with people, so many other things I want to do in my life. And so he really encouraged me. He's like, you know what? He's like, just, just quit, Brandy. Just quit. Just do it. He's like, you just launch your business full time. And I'm like, no way. That's terrifying. I'm not one of these people who, you know, uh, like quits their job and writes a self-help book and, you know, all these things, you know, you know how it's like, there's this culture right now where it's like, oh yeah, you can do anything. Just quit your job. Just, you know, do this, do that. And it's like, yeah, no, I, I have to have a practical approach to how I do things. I always have to have a plan. He's like, well, what if the challenge is not having a plan and having faith instead? And I was like, oh, I feel like that. I wanted to criticize him so much, you know, in that moment. <laughs> But something about that stuck with me because I said, yeah, I mean, I've always been trying to work from this place of like the scarcity fear, this fear that I won't have enough, this fear that it's all going to be taken away from me because of that's what I experienced in the past, you know, and I never wanted that to happen again. And he's like, well, what if you gave up on that fear and you tried to build more trust and what if you hustled for yourself instead of others? Because I was always worried about my job being in jeopardy with the market, you know, like causing people to eliminate positions and downsizing. And it was happening around me constantly. I made it through all of these downsizings. And I'm just like, I can't watch this anymore. I can't, I can't, you know, be a part of this. And something in me Besides all the things that were happening at the time, I started getting all these signs. I was sitting with my friend Margie on her front porch and I was talking to her about how I don't know if I can quit my job. I can't just leave. You know, like I need to have a plan. She's like, Franny, you're going to do just fine. You're going to be fine. Like she's like, "You're, you're good at what you do. And wouldn't you rather work for yourself than work for someone else who doesn't exactly like care about your best interests, you know? And I was like, well, I don't know. What if it's just like some ridiculous dream that I'm having? And then an owl swooped over my head. And it's middle of the day, no. by the way. You know, owls <laughs> are nocturnal. And I and I it was funny because I had been doing tarot readings and I kept getting the death card about my career, you know, my my job. And and I was like, the death card is a transition card. It's like saying, okay, it's time to acknowledge that it's the end of something and it's time to do something different, time to do something new. You know, you have to accept an ending so you can start a beginning. And so the, what's funny about the owl is it's it's basically a symbol of death and wisdom. It's, it's a symbol of accepting transitions and knowing that something needs to end so something different can begin. And I was like, okay, fine. 
I hear you. I'm listening. Okay. <laughs> and what happened was my my husband and I, we had saved up for years to go on our dream honeymoon because we had eloped. We didn't really you know, put money into a big wedding. And we decided, no, we want to buy a house first. And we want to, you know, go on a nice trip. So we saved and saved our honeymoon got canceled in 2020. Obviously, it was we were going to Italy. And that's where the huge outbreak had occurred. And we ended up being glad that we had waited because we spent a week and a half, maybe two weeks in the Amalfi Coast in Italy. And it was like a flipping dream. It was amazing. I I still can't even believe this fat girl was jumping off these like beautiful boats on Capri Island, you know, and it is so fun. I just had the best time. I took up space. I enjoyed myself. And he goes, okay, what do you think when you get back, you put in your notice? I love (laughs) how supportive he is. And I was like, I I don't know, because I have a hard time with trusting other people to carry my weight, you know, Mm -hmm. to carry to carry me. And I would rather carry others, you know. And and so I did. I I said I showed up. (laughs) I showed up on that Monday and I put in my notice and everyone was shocked. They're like, what? (laughs) And I said, yeah, well, what are you going to do? Well, I have a small business and I've had it, you know, for 10 years. And they're like, what? <laughs> Cause I hadn't told anybody. <laughs> and of course they're like, Oh, interesting. You know, <laughs> I told yeah. them what it was, but it's really funny because the execs that I was close with, they're like, Oh, give me your information. You know, like <laughs> you do astrology. Okay. We're going to have to keep in touch. You know, it was really funny. So it's, it's hilarious how some of the people were like, yeah, yeah, let's, let's like hear more about it. And others that were, you know, trying to like work their way up the ladder were like, ha, huh, funny. <laughs> so <laughs> it was a really interesting experience. And I'm, I never looked back. And, you know, the thing is, and I'm sure you can relate to this being someone who owns your own business. It's not consistent. You know, you have to trust that you're going to be able to deliver. And the thing is, I was able to deliver in all these other facets of my career. And so why wouldn't I be able to deliver for myself now? You know, absolutely. It's really overcoming that self-sabotage and that self-doubt. And, you know, I still have it peek in. I still challenge myself. And I'm really grateful that I took this leap. And it's still scary. I mean, there's there's never like a moment where I'm like, oh, yeah, this is easy, you know. <laughs> but I enjoy it so much more. My life is so much more well-rounded. I can actually interact with people from a deeper perspective. I, <laughs> I love that. I was watching a TikTok this morning. I don't even know who it was, but the guy on it was talking about how it's so harmful to have a plan B that in our culture, we're so conditioned and that's a big thing. Like you need to have a plan B. If, if, if your degree doesn't work for this, what's your plan B? And he said, you shouldn't have a plan B. And I love that. And I'm going to start living by that because you shouldn't, because you, I know that in my professional career, I've always been in awesome employee and worked my ass off for the company and done everything I was supposed to do to help, you know, build that company. Why wouldn't you believe that you can do it for yourself when it's something that you should be more passionate about? Because it is just you. That is so true. And I love surrounding myself with other small women business owners, because I really do believe like we fucking understand that (laughs) more than anything. We understand that. And, and yeah, I like what you said about the whole plan B thing, because I feel like the psychic piece 
even though it paralleled my financial career, never really intersected, it was something that I did for pleasure. And why not do the thing that you want to do for business as well? I have other forms of pleasure. I like to paint. I like to spend time out in the garden. I like to snuggle my puppy, you know, things like that. But I wasn't allowing myself to have those experiences because I was so focused on the grind. And now I can understand like, okay, I still grind, you know, for my business, um, but I have a better balance, a better dynamic of how I can manage my time and my energy. And it's been experimental. You know, it's not something that I just like learned right off the bat. I was a person who I bought a hammock and I never laid in it. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, oh, I don't feel like I deserve to take that, you know, time to actually fully relax. And if I did, oh my gosh, like I felt nervous trying to relax. I would feel anxious, you know? And, but then I remembered it took me a long time to get the practice of meditation down to. And also I learned this year that I'm neurodivergent. So I have ADHD. I have, I'm on the autism spectrum with a high level of masking. And so what that means is all of the all of the ways I was trying to compare myself to other people, I wasn't allowing my body and my mind to exist in the state that it needed to. You know, I was trying to fit myself into this little box. And now I have all these other really great tools in my toolkit for how to make myself feel much more at home in my work environment and how I navigate this world as a, a human and not necessarily as an employee. I think that that's so important and I identify with that so much. I We only met three years ago, but one thing you may not know about me is I, and you're not going to believe this, but I never went on a vacation with my family until four years ago was wow. the first time we ever went on a vacation. And in the three years you've known me, we have traveled the world. We have done so many yep. amazing things, but it was because I was so focused on grinding and doing what I needed to do and proving to this person, proving to the next person, the next promotion, the next opportunity that I had. a I don't like to use the word balance because I don't think that that, that it's a balance, but it, it took me owning my own business and learning how to manage my own time and my own stress and knowing there was nothing else I was chasing to be able to relax and really have that harmony in, in my life. And it sounds like that's what you've kind of figured out in, in business ownership as well. I love the word harmony. That is a fair point. And yes, I agree with you. I think it, it took practice. And what a sad thing these days is that we have to practice harmony when I feel like it was something. I mean, if you think about it, though, our prior generations, our ancestors before us, they were really working hard to try and survive, right? And just like us. And we have to remember, not everyone has the resource abilities, you know, the, the not everyone has access to doing some of the things that we've done, right? But at the same time, I want to think that my ancestors aren't saying, well, you're not hustling enough. You're not, you know, like you're not riding yourself enough. You could be better. You could do, you know, I think it's more like they'd be, they'd be happy with me being happy, happy with me living a life that feels rich and fulfilled. And I especially feel like, you know, this inclusion of like more heart centered energy is important. 
And, you know, and even the people that I know that work in those fields where more heart centered energy is required, like in therapy or, you know, in, in the medical industry, you know, they're getting burnt out, too, because of this kind of mindset that we're all kind of a part of where we're churning, churning, churning. And so I agree with you that when it comes to us really being responsible for our own time frame for how we're setting everything up, everything shifts, everything changes. And it would have been easy for me to take the attitude that I had from the financial sector and then apply it to what I do now. But I don't know if I would have been successful because it really took a rounding out of my energy so I could kind of calm my nervous system. You know, because who wants to work with a nervous ass psychic? Who wants to work with a nervous ass psychic, you know? Yeah. (laughs) So. So what does your business look like now? Like, what do you offer? Um, Mm -hmm. What's your day to day? And and tell me more about that. Sure. So I, most of my day to day with clients is through Zoom or email and I do readings. So I'll, if you book like a psychic or a tarot reading with me, I offer consult basically. So it depends upon what you're you know, looking for. I don't necessarily work with things like fertility questions because I have wounds myself and things you don't know when you look at the psychics on TV is uh, we have our own boundaries that we set. We create our own framework, our own specialty that we want to work within. And so even though I am a medium and I can connect with, I'm not a grief counselor, you know, so I don't necessarily advertise myself as a medium. I love what I love to do is I love to work with people who are kind of at this and they need some clarity because when we're on that precipice of change, just like myself in the past, sometimes we can have this freeze, this uh, fight, flight or freeze moment. And we're having a difficult time seeing the context and in the, in the grander scheme and how to make decisions around that. And so really what I love doing is um, help with decision-making and help with growth or help with transitions. I'll do like relationship readings or career readings, all kinds of things. And a lot of what I do is I'll kind of scan your energy field and I'll provide you with, you know, what I'm seeing and any kind of narrative that's coming up, any symbolism that's coming up. And then I'll tie in additional pieces that I'm drawing in. And sometimes I'll use like tarot cards to help me sort out my thoughts. Because I'm neurodivergent, a lot of the information comes in with like, it's just all at one time. And so and and I think you said you're ADHD, right? Oh, yeah, very much. Yeah. So, <laughs> so So one of the things that helps keep me on track because everything is like shiny, squirrel, squirrel, you know, is being able to lay out these tools so I can keep track of the information. And then the other thing I like to do is use astrology charts. So some people can book an astrology reading with me and I can help you understand your natal chart. So the moment you were you were born, what the sky looked like and how that might have shaped who you are and created these like formative pieces within you, as well as some of the things that might have affected you from like a past life or might be a wound that come up over and over again that we need to kind of really acknowledge. It's not necessarily going away, but you can navigate it differently. And then I also love to do, I've been offering lately past life readings and they have been so fun because 
a lot of the times when people come in for a past life reading and you might think, oh, it's just like for fun. You know, it's just like, oh, she's going to tell me I was a caterpillar in a past life, right? Or something, you know, goofy like that. But what I've been finding with the past life readings is when I'm pulling that information for this person and I'm sharing it with them, what I'm seeing is there are these cyclical patterns throughout different lives that they've experienced that still show up today. And it's like, we're kind of trying to break some of these bad habits, not necessarily that's tied to like our genetic DNA, like our lineage, but more so if you think about it, we have existed as a form of matter, you know, in all different capacities ever since the beginning of time. Okay. We've just been constantly recycling all of that energy. When we die, we go to the earth, our energy, our electricity in our brain goes somewhere else. Right. And so it's, it's just fascinating to me to see these people, how they live their lives and the things that they experienced and the, the pains that they might've experienced and how that still might be showing up in some of their behavioral patterns, even today so that they can really kind of understand how to navigate some of that and feel maybe more at peace or feel a little bit more equipped to not necessarily always like this growth mindset, but just to find more peace, you know? I love that. Yeah. So I do a lot. And then I teach classes. I love teaching classes. It's been one of my favorite things. I've been teaching tarot classes and astrology classes, meditation classes. It's just been wonderful. I also mentor psychics. So if someone is um, having abilities and they're not sure how to navigate that, or um, maybe they just need some, you know, fine tuning when it comes to what they're doing. Um, Maybe they want to practice different reading methods, you know, they'll study with me one on one. um, And I do that through zoom. And that's been really wonderful as well. Really, really wonderful to connect with those people on a deeper level. I love that. And I, I've been able to tell since the moment I met you how passionate you are and how much you you really care about this work. You've been so positive about your transition and, and the family and friends that have really encouraged you and been there along the way. Has there been any negative points of making this transition to owning your own business that you've had to overcome or work through? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So a couple of things I'll talk about is my and it's so funny, because I pulled my astrology chart, and it's so in my astrology, it's like you can just see it plain as day. So I have I used to have crippling social anxiety. I stuttered, I stammered, I avoided social events at all costs. I didn't feel comfortable interacting with groups of people. And I actually realize now that's part of some of the trauma from my neurodivergence experiences that I had, um, just kind of blowing up. And so I would isolate. I isolated for a really long time during my first marriage. Um, And so the thought of having to do this you know, publicly terrified me, terrified me. And the thing is, I'm a very uh, academic brain. I like to make sure that, you know, I'm ethical and responsible in how I'm interacting with people. I don't totally know how all of this works. You know, I don't totally know how all of this works. And I don't know if during my lifetime we'll ever figure that out. And that's okay. I, I had to become okay with not knowing everything. And that can be hard for someone who has social anxiety, is worried about having to, you know, fit within a structure, socialize and prove 
you know, and I had to realize, like, I'm not here to prove anything. You know, I am just here to, I'm here to share these abilities in the best way that I can, and to provide some sort of a safe space for people to experience something different about themselves. And so once I got over this fact of, oh, well, you know, you're just, it's just going to be like, you're a narcissist, and you're going to show off and all these people on TV. And and I'm like, well, I don't have to do that. I don't have to be like that. I don't have to exist in like this mentality that I need to be on TV to be somebody or, you know, and, and I can do this the way that I feel comfortable. I don't have to fold or bend myself into these ways that others have kind of shown up and good for them that they have that, you know, skill set and they have that interest to be able to show up in, in places like that, in situations like that and give a voice to mediumship. Right. But there's also this detrimental part too, because we've had things like the spiritualist movement, you know, post-civil war where they were doing seances and traveling from town to town and really kind of preying on the widows of civil war veterans, right. Or civil war soldiers, right? And and then we had, you know, the, remember the Psychic Friends Network during the 90s, where they were just so predatory, you know, and just so just really bad for business, essentially, you know, and so I'm like, well, how am I going to distinguish myself from these types of energies? And I'm like, well, I just know that that's not what I'm going for. Once I got over this fear of becoming a narcissist, because and I think the, the other issue of this, the other end of this was, I had a lot of social anxiety because I was raised by someone with an undiagnosed narcissistic personality disorder. And so my biggest fear was hurting someone the way that I had been hurt, you know, and so I would make myself smaller and smaller. Um, And I think that's why the numbers part of the financial community made me so happy Um, because I didn't have to worry about all of that stuff. I had to start working on my social anxiety. And once I did that, once I became more comfortable in my skin, that I think led me down to this path of, I don't have to be what all these other people were. I can be something different. I can be real. I can be authentic to who I am. I don't, I don't have to fit this mold. So I think the biggest barrier I would come up to even today is people expect me to just come up to them and say, Oh, your dead grandma's around you. Or, you know, like, Oh, like blah, blah, blah. You you're pregnant, you know, and you know, things like that. And I'm just like, that's not how this works. (laughs) And that's not how it is. And I will tell you the single most embarrassing moment of my life was the way I met Brandy. If you're okay with me sharing this story. It's totally fine. And it was not embarrassing, (laughs) but maybe for you. Well, I was, we met on a wine walk and I had a few too, too many glasses of wine and I met Brandy and she said, I'm a psychic. And I'm like, oh my God, is my dead grandma here? And then I realized I did, I, bo- I booked a reading with you because I felt so terrible at a her asking reading, that. A pity reading. But I loved it. And I came back for another one and still hanging around you years yeah. later. So I think there's so much that people don't, even me as somebody who's like, always has had an open mind to these things. Mm -hmm. We just don't understand it. And I think you make a really good point, like especially with your educational and science background, like in a corporate job, like you have the degree, you have the experience, like you check off those boxes, like your authority isn't questioned. But in what you're doing, there's no, you know, certification you can, I'm sure there's some kind of certification, but like it's such a 
such a different thing that you just have to be so comfortable in building your business in alignment to who you are and what you feel. And I imagine that's been really freeing, or it sounds like it in the way that you talk about it, to just be able to just trust in 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 what you can do and trust that the customers will come rather than, you know, having all the accolades to quote unquote, draw people in. Yeah. And I, I am a certified psychic medium, but I don't advertise that because if you think about it and, and I know there's like tarot certification and all these other things you can get, but if you think about it, like Italian grandmas have been sitting around their you know kitchen table with their tarot cards forever. They don't need a certification, you know, and people have been acting, especially in indigenous cultures as medicine workers and healers and shamans for centuries, for millennia. And they don't need a certification. I mean, they go through their own personal experiences and training with their community. And so there's not really a, a, a like a the right path to do this. But what I do try to maintain is a high level of ethics and professionalism. So, you know, my ethics might be different than someone else's ethics. But the, the fact is that I try to maintain a code of respect and dignity for the people that I work with. The other, I think, difficulty I might experience is there's two others. There, There is the barrier of people who have kind of addictive personalities when it comes to working with psychics or energy workers. And so I set it up with my clients where you know, I require them to wait a certain number of, of months before they schedule with me again, because I want them to actually use the information that I've given them. I want them to actually chew on it, synthesize it, process it, you know, do something with it before they're making another appointment. And the other thing is, if I'm seeing, you know, behavior like that, where it feels like there's kind of they're bouncing around to people or, you know, they're they're feeling a little addictive about, you know, getting this advice and they're not listening, then I I reserve the right to no longer work with them. And I'm OK setting that boundary because it's a boundary out of love. And it's not necessarily me doing that from a place of anger or frustration or disappointment. And then the other factor is, I think people expect me to be very religious or spiritual. And and they they don't expect that I'm very, like, practical, you know. So they might come to me expecting all of this kind of woo-woo stuff, which, yeah, it does happen. But I try to ground the information that I get in a very practical, easy-to-understand way. And I realize that not everyone has relationships with things like religion or maybe there's just so much diverse perspective with my clients from different religious backgrounds that if I were to talk in a certain spiritual perspective, they might not understand, you know? And so I have to make it clear to people because I I often have people come up to me and they ask me what my religion is. And the thing is, even as a kid, I was so curious about religion. I would go to church by myself as a kid. We, not, My parents never went to church, but I would like walk into all these random churches in the neighborhood and sit there and listen to the messages. Like, I love that. <laughs> yeah. And like I was studying, you know, I, w- I remember I was joining youth groups with friends. I took a Buddhist studies class. I took an Islamic studies class where we, you know, we even read like scripture from the Quran. Like I, I've, I've like studied so much. And so it's it's like I'm always learning from very different perspectives and I'm not like trying to put it into one framework. And I feel like a lot of the things that I've experienced in this career is so universal anyways. 
it's so universal. And I really start to feel more so like this is really energy. And this is just kind of like the best way for me to put it and express it. And so I think that has helped ground me in how I interact with people, because the uncertainty piece would get me so nervous because I would want to, you know, prior, I would say, oh, gosh, I don't want to upset anybody. But the thing is, well, I just have to be who I am. And, you know, if I don't follow that certain framework, or if I don't have this need to express it, kind of like my grandparents did, you know, then I I think that's actually more helpful, because it's giving me an open mind for how things um, are experienced as well as I grow in this career. And there is still, there are so many things that I'm exploring and I'm just so grateful for this. I love that. So what is next for you? What What is your hope for your career in the coming years? So for me, I have never really thought, I've, I've always wanted to grow, 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 do, 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 expand, 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 like throughout my work history. And I actually just really want to focus on consistency and like, you know, what does that look like and feel like to be able to like experience that and not feel like I have to push, push, push. And so that's actually one of the things I've been working on and it's been really rewarding. And I started to kind of branch off and have my own hobbies. Like I can't, I'm painting, I'm doing stuff. I'm learning things that I wanted to learn like personally for fun. And then what I'm also doing is um, working with, um, Lots of nonprofits. I work with an archaeologist up in Beaver Dam. He just wrote a book actually all about the effigy mounds of the northern part of the Rock River. And he is actually oh, one wow. of yeah, he's actually one of the like definitive voices in folks who are trying to, you know, preserve and save some of these mounds from desecration. And so it's been really fascinating working with him and sharing some of the ideas and some of the experiences and feeling like it's so interesting because he has all this knowledge about, you know, the mounds and like the the history behind them. And I have all of this spiritual experience that I'm seeing. And so we'll get together and we'll exchange information and it's really helpful and it's really interesting. And I'm also part of a group called Allies of Native Nations. And what we're trying to do, and and they're based out of Janesville, and it's a small group of people. And what is going on is right now, the state of Wisconsin is required to include uh, information about indigenous cultures in their their school curriculum. Uh, But not a lot of schools are actually upholding that. And so because of that, uh, we're seeing like a lot of um, policy being put into place that's actually taking away rights from Indigenous people. For example, up in northern Wisconsin and in the Duluth area, you'll probably see signs every once in a while that say stop line five. And it's actually a huge oil line that they're trying to run through reservation territory, even though, you know, that's supposed to, and some of that territory is so protected because they've left it wild. They've maintained it as this beautiful natural resource space. And so to have, you know, an oil spill occur in those areas would be extremely detrimental to like our water, our, you know, just so many things. And these are areas that they're, they're going to be our last resort for natural resources. And right now we're seeing a lot of things happen around the world that are indicating a lot of shifts and, 
So I feel like one of the things I can do, because a lot of the energy that I tap into, it tends to be tied to Indigenous protection or Indigenous pain, some sort of like history that has come and the story wasn't told honestly, you know, it wasn't recorded in our history as it was actually occurring. And so one of the things that I am doing with this group is trying to work with education policy in the state so that, you know, teachers are feeling more empowered and equipped to understand how to teach these things, because a lot of the resources that they had were you know, not necessarily written accurately. And so we're working with, we have librarians and professors and elders that are working to try and adjust or update some of the resources for that curriculum so that people can actually become more aware of, you know, this stuff. And I think part of it is a lot of those cultures were very dependent on these natural resources being cared for. And we're seeing, you know, the destruction of it constantly. We're seeing, we're harvesting, harvesting without, you know, actually creating an opportunity for regrowth, you know, and like respecting the land or respecting the water or respecting the air. And so that's one of the callings that I have been really drawn to. I have goosebumps all over my body right now talking about this. And so it's been really, I'm newer to the group. And so I am am jumping in wherever I can help because I feel like this is part of one of the reasons my abilities were kind of cracked open in Madison. You know, I love that. My, I don't think I've ever told you this. My dad was a high school science teacher. He's now retired, but he was always like a big history buff, very much into native American culture. He, I grew up with going to effigy mounds and learning the history behind it. He's really into that. And my, my daughters are actually, um, Native American, their grandma's a tribe member, their dad is not quite enough to be a member, but it's it's a part of, of their history. So I feel very passionately about it. But that is so interesting. And I, I think I grew up knowing a lot of those things just because it was an interest of my father's. But I think you're totally right. I don't ever remember learning about it in school. Yeah. And the only things I recall learning about, and I grew up in Minneapolis, I was educated in the Minneapolis public school system. We had a lot of like, we could take an Ojibwe language class instead of Spanish or Latin, you know, in, in, in high school. And we had like drum circle groups, you know, as an extracurricular and things like that, because the culture in Minneapolis was so strong because they had created an inner city reservation. And it was during the 50s, they were kind of busing people in so they could work, essentially, because the, the reservations were so isolated and cut off from the rest of the world. And that was the point of creating reservations, right? And so I had I had um, lots of friends that were Native, um, lots of friends that, you know, had Lakota or Ojibwe, you know, um, connections. And so to me, I learned a little bit, but nothing like what I feel we should be learning because there's such a deep understanding and appreciation, especially for like native plants. And I feel like we can only appreciate, you know, something after it's been commodified and someone's done something bit big where they're making money off of it. But like a lot of those, you know, medicines and things like that, they came from these practices and these cultures because of survival. And so it's just been really interesting to kind of have a completely different perspective and a completely different relationship with the concept of energy because in their whole belief system is so different than how we function as a Western society. You know, we feel like we need to acquire, acquire, acquire. And in their kind of belief system, it's more like, well, nobody owns land. 
you know, it belongs to all of us and we are, it's part of us kind of a thing. And so it's really been an interesting form of, I feel like spiritual growth for me because it's challenging everything that I have been taught and learned. And it's answering a lot of questions that I've been seeking information around. And I really do feel like it's important for us to try and alchemize all the pain that we've caused and, you know, the genocide that's occurred here in the States and really try to understand how we can really honor and uphold some of these, well, these communities so that we can learn from them because they're the reason we were surviving in the first place. And, you know, I think they might also be the answer to how we're going to survive in the future. I love that, Brandy. I cannot wait to see more of your work with with all of that and see you grow in your career with your psychic business. Well, thank you so much. Is there anything else you'd like to share before we sign off? No, I appreciate you having me on the show, Katie. I always love talking with you. You're just such a fun person. So thanks for having me. Well, same. I'm so excited that, that we got to do this. And thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Off the Beaten Career Path podcast is a Lit Path Studios production and is produced by Jamie Gale and Katie Myers. Music is by Sasha Gray and Pond5. If you enjoyed today's show, please leave us a review and share it to your social media. Remember, your career path is up to you to create. Keep exploring, keep pushing boundaries, and keep blazing your own trail.